Welcome to episode 913 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 913 of, of Iron Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Pretty good. How about yourself? Pretty good. We're back on the Zoom this week, mate. Yeah, well, I've been uh, I've been been up early and I've been swimming and I had to come straight back to do our interview. So I figured we'd round the rest of the show out uh, on good old Zoomy Zoom. Now I've got my fancy new headset, which seems the sound quality seems pretty good. So hopefully you guys can hear loud and clear. Yeah, it does sound really good. What, what was was it? Time for a headset? No, the other one broke. It was still one of the old Audio Technicas. So oh, back wow. in like the very very early days of I Am Talk. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he was awesome. He worked at Audio Technica, sent us a whole bunch of stuff, um, which was great. And that sent allowed us a us whole to, bunch of stuff. <laughs> upgrade from sharing one microphone between two of us huddled around Bevan's computer <laughs> to a whole bunch of gear. So we're very appreciative. And it lasted a long time. Uh, must be at least 10 years, probably 10 to 12 years ago, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. And um, my little headset broke, so I had to go get a new one. I've got some headphones, which I use for my piano, and they're still going strong. Right. Yeah. Like, Audio Technica is one of the best brands. Like nowadays you think of beats and stuff, but Audio Technica is kind of like the classy earphone that a lot of companies like if you go to a recording studio, they'll be using Audio Technica. It's kind of that mm. level. Anyway, I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by our awesome patrons. Uh we've got Re Wiki Wiki and he's the Raider. Roland the Sharp Shooter. And we've got Nicholas Hitch. Hocock. In this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. And you've done the interview. Who are we interviewing? We are talking to Bradley Rice. He's a South African, currently ranked 12th on the PTO rankings. And he had some really good results last year. Um, unfortunately, got a penalty in the World Champs in Nice, but he still finished in seventh place. Uh, so he is getting ready for the PTO tour. So it's uh, not the PTO tour, the T100 tour. So that's what we're mainly discussing. Oh, that's exciting. Uh, we've also got, we're going to go a little bit more depth into the T100 and the amount of money the pros can potentially make within this new league. Uh, anyway, with the week, questions and answers at the end. So we know it's a triathlon show, but we did have the coast to coast over the weekend. I was doing the emceeing at the race. Uh, you're, you're pretty impressed by Ben Phillips. Yeah, it was good. So obviously we, you know, it's a multi-sport race. So you guys have heard before, but they have a little run to start with that takes them seven minutes and 12 seconds. And then the first bike ride took them one hour 29. And then it starts to break up a bit after that. You do a, a, a run, which is sort of the equivalent of a marathon, but you're running over all rocks and stuff. Lead guy who won took two hours 59. Then they have a little bike ride, um, about 25 minutes or so. Uh, they run down a hill to the kayak and then the kayak is a big chunk of the day the lead guide did it in 406 and then they finished off with a bike ride that they had i think they had a tailwind because they went pretty bloody fast uh an hour sort of hour 31 to an hour 37 so yeah ben phillips who is the brother of mike phillips he was at the ironman world champs earlier this year he qualified to go to nice and um i saw a little profile on our club page yesterday on ben because he's a local fella uh his highlight of the year was he he managed to outrun jan fredino at the world champs and at um he, he ran i think part of the second half of the marathon when jan fredino when he was out of it um but it's pretty cool when you're you know 
Ben Phillips is um, he's racing pro, but he still works and so on. He's not a not a full time pro, but to be running with an out kicking Jan Fredino in his last year Ironman would have been pretty cool. But he finished yeah. in third place. Now he does come from a surf life saving background, so his kayak is pretty decent. Um, but that's where he basically um, didn't lose the race, but uh, that was the area where he was you know nine minutes slower than the winner. And um, if he had been able to keep up in the kayak, he would have been right in the mix. But pretty impressive. He beat last year's winner and finished third place when, you know, probably a relatively short build-up was um, was pretty impressive. What was really interesting, John, um, the race was – so Hamish Elliott took it out. And Hamish traditionally is a very strong runner, um, not so good in the kayak. But he did some work over the you know, over the year since last year. And I don't think anyone really took any time out of him in the kayak. Like his kayak was pretty stellar. Um, and then – uh, so he got second place in the kayakers and overall, which is pretty impressive. Uh, but then the Australian guy, Alex Hunt, was chasing him down on the bike. If it was, if it was probably another 5Ks, people might have caught him. And and if they'd had a headwind, because your tailwind yeah. meant that, that leg was quite short. And, and you, when you're getting that tailwind, if you're a bit weaker, you can usually hang on a little bit better. So, yeah, I was listening to it on the radio. And, it, um, yeah, they didn't quite know what was going on, but it started getting pretty close. And, yeah, only a couple of minutes, you know, two and a half minutes over. It takes them 10 hours 48 versus 10 hours 51. It was um, it was pretty close day. And then Ben Phillips was another 11 minutes back in third. So that was the boys' side of it. And on the female side of it, not so exciting because uh, it was just a bit of a, a dojo domination. How many times has Simone Maia won it now? Fifth. Fifth? Fifth. Yeah, uh, yep. So she absolutely crushed it. So good on her. Uh, she won by 20 minutes over Hannah Lund and Fiona Dowling. The funny thing was, John, so I'm doing the commentary and we, I, I start both the days, then I kind of do the bike transition into the run. And on day two, then I go to the kayak transition to the final leg and her GPS wasn't working. So mm. basically at the start of the kayak, she was in the race and then the whole kayak, she just wasn't there. And so we yeah. didn't know what was happening and we're like, is she out of the race? Is she winning the race? And then luckily yeah. at Woodstock, which is like an hour up the river to the transition, we we figured out she was in the lead then, but like we we had no idea. So yeah. and then, then she came out of nowhere. Well, she didn't really come out of nowhere, but she came and was dominating the race. Um, good stuff. And- I got to say, if you are a triathlete, admittedly you would have to pick up your kayaking skills, but if you've got the capacity to bring your kayaking skills, then you'll do a phenomenal event. The the Kathmandu Coast to Coast is is a world beater. Like it's such a great event. Mm. Uh, now, did you finish your day before the weather completely shed itself? No, I, I, luckily where we were, we have a big, um, we're kind of in a big truck. So it yeah. did shed itself, but we were in the truck. And then I left at about seven. So I was pretty lucky, really. So the for, for the the day they had seemed pretty good. I haven't actually spoken to anybody who was out there until about six o'clock yeah. on the set on the night and yeah, then the suddenly front came in yeah. and it was miserable so you would have got out of the kayak and you've got a what is it, a 70k bike ride yeah. and it would have been freezing it was raining and you would have had a cross headwind to finish off your day and then there would have been nobody at the finish line it would have yeah. just been such an anti-climax so really felt for those guys um and it was who, unfortunate who, really because the pros obviously they were kind of done by the time that hit and um, one thing yeah. i will say it was a very fast day so it was basically tailwind all day i think it was mm-hmm. the coast to coast records are a bit funny because the course has changed over the years and keith murray in like the 90s did at 10, yeah. 10 and a half. And everyone said they would never be beaten. 
Hamish Elliott was only 18 minutes behind that. You know, mm. the, apparently the the kayak was challenging because of the wind, but also very fast because of the wind. And then they had that tailwind mm. on the bike home. So, uh, yeah, pretty fast day overall. Yeah, great. Okay, we're coming up this weekend, we've got, uh, got another race coming up. Yep, Challenge Warwick is coming up. Uh, let's have a look at what's happening. It's not the strongest pro field. No, so we haven't got many, so we won't talk about it for too long. Great race, but it's very much, uh, ho hopefully it's going to change next year because they have it at a new venue the last few years and the run has been, is very much a cross-country run, extremely hard. I haven't actually done it, but you just look at the profile and you're basically running up and around a mountain bike park. So on the female side, you've got Grace Thick, Els Vista, Rebecca Clark and Laura Sedell. Good to see Laura Sedell back in the country. I assume she is racing. And the boys race, I think, will be a two-horse two battle between Mike Phillips and Kyle Smith. Uh, Kyle Smith's been a bit sick, so we'll see what sort of form he's in. But um, he's a bit of an enigma. When he's on, he is on. And Mike Phillips is, you know, pretty consistent. So should be good times. Weather forecast looks uh, looks okay. And, um, yeah, really cool race. Challenge Wanaka this weekend. So one thing, you said hopefully it'll be better next year. What, what is it changing next year? Well, they, they put out surveys and so on, and they may, may move it back into town. And if oh. they do that, I think it'll be a, um, a very good move. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, but yeah. What, what's, what's the story? Why, why did they move out? Was it just like city planning costs? Well, uh, you know, just um, people complaining and and then all the local businesses complaining and just making a bit of a change, probably cost-saving measures as well. And then all the businesses go, hey, there's nobody here. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that, no shit. So, <laughs> um, yeah. It was so a pretty, I like, was I, haven't, like, I haven't seen the new course and I haven't emceed the race since then. So I don't really know what the new course is like. I, I go camping around that part of the world and I, it's it's paradise. And I'm sure it's a very challenging race. But the cool thing about Challenge Wanaka was the street front. You know, because you, mm. you, you've got the park, which is – so if you haven't been to Wanaka, you've got this awesome lake. And if you're looking at the lake to the right of it, you've got all, like, the restaurants and stuff like that. And then you've got this massive park to you know, kind of right in front of the lake. And so the great thing was you had this big finish area where the race was happening. And right to the right of it, you've got these, you know, restaurants and bars. And so during the day, once the race had finished, you'd be pumping down there. And then, mm. you know, you'd still have your race kind of area. And, yeah, it seemed – it was a pity it left that part because it was quite cool. Yeah, so I think um, hopefully next year they will be back in town and it will be even better. Okay, but John's short course update. What's happening there, John? Uh, I'm frustrated, Bevan. I'm, fr I'm not going to rant, but I'm frustrated. Oh, why? <laughs> because uh, my little Thomas is going up next weekend to do a what's called the Oceania junior championships and they've got a world cup race on as well and it's in napier and it looks like it's going to be a really cool event when i saw the start list i'm going tom this is going to be amazing you know you've got beth potter down on the start list you had georgia taylor brown you had alex Yee, and you had all these big hot shots and i think this is going to be great um and now we've actually rolled around to the event all those people probably were never even intending to do it, but the national federations entered them so they can sort of roll people into the course and replace them with other people. Oh. So I was all excited about this. There's still some good guys racing, don't get me wrong, but it's a pretty stupid system um, where you can enter people and then uh, who have probably got no intention of racing just so you can get some of your other lower ranked athletes entered later on. So I'm a bit annoyed about that. Uh, yeah, what, what can they but do anybody, about that? Most other people probably don't even look at the start list, so it's not a big issue, but I do, and I'm thinking that's just, just a bit crap um, because you well, want I to be able fans to look of the sport, fields wouldn't a long they? way out. If you're a real fan of the sport, you'd look, wouldn't you? But, and it would it would motivate me to go. Like I was looking at that going, geez, I almost might go up there with Tom and watch. He's going up with his sort of training group. I was like, that is like 
be so cool to go and see these the world beaters and then if you booked your tickets and you're good to go and then they're not coming you're like oh that's a bit yeah. of false marketing uh yeah. so i just think it's a bit of a bit of a broken system this weekend though as well down in wanaka they have the challenge uh, wanaka we've just been talking about but they've also got a um an elite race on the friday night so if you are going down to that race go and check it out it should be some great racing they have got uh, some really good most of the top kiwis are racing i don't think hayden wilds racing but um it's usually really close i think last year it was like a four or five way sprint finish in the boys race uh so if you're doing challenge one go and check it out on friday night it should be awesome good times rock and roll discussion of the week um, my my guild didn't put it up john i'm going oh. yeah my, my i get the guild to do the work and a skill called Isaac who works for me, uh, who does who does all the backy and stuff. And she didn't put up the post last week, so sorry about that. I'll I'll I'll, I'll give her a suit and talking to. But anyway, uh, so John <laughs> put a post up on Friday saying, "What inspired you to do your first triathlon?" So, you know, thinking back to day one for you, what was the actual inspiration for you to do your first triathlon? So James Thomas has got the Triathlete Magazine 2006 Swimsuit Edition. <laughs> I think they got in trouble for that. People weren't happy about that, were they? I, I do remember, and I also remember the one where they did was Laurie it Bowden Ficker? on, and no, they did Laurie Bowden on the cover of one of those magazines where she just had body paint and stuff like that on. But those are the days of magazines. Don't think I've ever picked up a magazine for the last probably five to ten years. Do this always? Uh, no, not uh, not in New Zealand. They don't. Don't know about offshore whether whether you still get any triathlon magazines. Don't know. Yeah. Let us know. Scott yeah. Horn said, "I've been training to get in shape for ski season. I've always enjoyed running. Thought cycling would be fun, but realised doing only one sport would be boring. Um, we had a local try in my backyard. Went out and watched, and thought I could do that. Been hooked ever since. Going on thirty three years. Good old Ben Nelson's got watched the Escape from Alcatraz on TV one rainy Sunday afternoon, and it obviously sparked Ben because you wanted to triathlon." Love those ones where people would watch stuff on TV uh, yeah. and gone. I want to do that. Uh, Simon Underwood says Tinley Allen, Scott Molina, uh, Scott and Molina, and our very own Glenn Cook and Sarah Cope. So he was obviously inspired by the the big Kahuna's. Tim Swanson's got uh, trying to show off to a girl. She wasn't impressed. Other <laughs> <laughs> uh, the things we do. Kevin, the assassin hunts, is watching Aaron Baker competing in a race in Corsia Bay around about 1989. I heard Erin uh, Baker on the radio the other day. She was um, on RNZ. We should actually put a link on our page there. Always love listening to Erin's yeah. uh, interviews. It's it's um it's always the same stuff that I've heard many times before. But she was uh, she had a pretty colourful life up before she was uh, before she was a triathlete. And when she was a triathlete, she just kicked some ass. Yeah, I, I, one of my favourite interviews I've ever done on the show was you you were on the camp when we were in Rote, and her and I just sat down. It was one of my favourite interviews I've ever done, and she was absolutely fantastic. Um, Christine McKinley's got fear of drowning in a kayak, so I gave up my multi-sport dream and started off at the Timaru Olympic Distance Triathlon back in January 2005, and I haven't looked back. I reckon I did that race. That was the one I was talking about the other day with my run. Right. Yeah, I reckon I did yeah. that. I, I reckon that I was in that race, Christine. It was a great race, great, great event. John Weir and Tear says seeing the 1985 Kona Ironman on television when I was 12. Wow. Kylie Cox got, after my second child, I wanted a big challenge. I could already run and bike. So it was uh, the Katmandu Coast to Coast or a half Ironman. Swimming one is a better life skill and due to the time and cost of kayaking. That was back in 2014. 
and Kylie's husband did uh, did yeah, coast to coast of the weekend, and he was uh, was one of those ones that got stuck out in, in that southerly at the end. That would have been miserable. Yeah, that would have been. Uh, Jonathan Tyndall says living in Cairns, so they have uh, Ironman Cairns every year. It's the uh, what do they call the Asia Pacific Champs. It was definitely seeing the show roll into town each year and wishing I could do it. In 2016, I took a leap of leap of faith and signed up for the 70.3. In 2017, I joined Nick Carling's training squad, and the rest is history. That's um, I think that's an important one as well because some of our best athletes in New Zealand have come out of Torpo where they've got the Ironman every year. And if you're a kid seeing that event roll into town, yeah, that, yeah, and especially in those small places, the whole community really gets behind it. And so you know, a, quite a good number of our best athletes have come out of Torpo. You know, Bevan Doherty, I think Kyle Smith is from Torpo. I think Nicole Vanderke, who's our sort of top female at the moment, and there's probably quite a few others. That's you know really creates a good good little community, both in terms of the athletes and in terms of just coaches and age groupers wanting to get in and hopefully putting back into the sport. So um, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, Julie Moss, sorry, um, Simon Murray said Julie Moss on trans world sport. So oh, if, if you nice. if you don't know, Julie Moss is uh, the one who fell over close to the finish line around about eighty three, wasn't it? I can't remember that date, but yeah, it was definitely yeah, somewhere eighty three, eighty four, something like that. And it was, she was the one who crawled to the finish line, and, and really, probably we think of iconic moments in the sport. That's one of that'd be top five. Mm. Now, a few people have put on here, and Belinda, my lovely wife, actually saw this post yesterday and said, quite surprised, quite a few of your listeners here have put in the Special K Women's Triathlon. So that was a women's only triathlon series, I'm going to say was oh, probably yeah. some sometime between sort of 2010, early 2000s, 2010, early 2000s yeah. women's yeah. only series, massive Huge. New Zealand, probably had, I don't know six or seven races around the country, all the main centres, massive, they'd get thousands of women doing it. So Charmaine Johnson said she did Special K, Annette Lee said she did the Special K, and there was definitely a couple of other posts in here that have said that as well. Uh, that series no longer exists, and we also have heard, you know, in, in the States when they used to have the Danskin Women's Series, that was ginormous, and I'm not sure if they still have women's races going over there at the moment. But at the moment in New Zealand, we do not have anything like that in terms of on the triathlon front but they do have some other women's only events and they are massive we have one called the spring challenge which yep. is more of a multi-sport sort of you can do a three a six or a nine hour challenge and there's several other ones is like the spirited woman um and they're, they're big man they're huge i think the problem with those special case because as john said like Thousands of women doing. I remember doing one in Christchurch. I'm not doing one, but going supporting my partner <laughs> at the time. Yeah, I won it. Interesting entry. My, my partner speedos. and some girls from the gyms did it. Um, uh, probably two or three thousand people doing it. It was huge. Hmm. But there was. I think the problem with that was, and Triathlon didn't really capitalize on it by having a bit of a pathway after, because they became yes. events that people did once. You know what I mean? They didn't necessarily, you know, they didn't captivate people. Now, obviously, here we're seeing a few people who went on with the sport, but um, mm. a lot of people did one, ticked the box, and that was it. You know, and mm. unfortunately, there was never really a flow on, hey, do this one, and now, you know, do this, do this. And maybe if Triathlon knew it was going to be so big, they would have put a bit of a pathway in front of them. Because I don't yeah. know, long term love of the sport after those races was probably pr a pretty poor, small percentage. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, uh, good old uh, Simon Underwood's got Tinley, Alan, Scott, Melina. I've done that one. Oh, have you? Uh, Kevin Hunt. Yeah. Yep, you've done that anymore. Yep, done that. 
Uh, I'll go Rich uh, Rich Walker. This is my school organized uh, triathlon at lunchtime um, one year when I was about 14. I swam badly, overbiked, and died on the run. Fast forward 16 years, and I went on holiday with some friends. The camera didn't lie about my slightly rotund appearance. Just a few months later, I watched highlights of the London Olympic distance try that Jensen Button has done. He loves F1. A few months after that, New Year's resolution saw me entered into the sprint category in London 2010. I generally don't regret any of it. I'll do, I'll do one more. I've got Darren Leslie. Darren Leslie's a bit of Jimmy nowadays. I really yeah. enjoyed running and riding. So in 1989, at the age of 20, a mate taught me to swim finally. I did my first ever Olympic distance triathlon event at some lake somewhere near Handover in Germany. Breaststroke all the way. So there you go. Last one I'll do is good old Peter McLeod, who I'm going around to see shortly after this podcast. And he's, he didn't put any words up there. He just put a picture of him at an event with two uh, of the promotional girls, one on each arm, and he's standing in front of a promotional vehicle. And that was what inspired him to get into triathlon. <laughs> Love your work, Pete. We talked about our first triathlon the other day. Did we talk about what inspired us? No. No, I haven't got any. I haven't got a very good story at all on that because I was literally just a swimmer kid. And uh and just moved across a couple of lanes, knew I could run. And so I thought it was probably more of a, yeah, just a performance thing. I thought I've got to be reasonably good at this. I wasn't inspired. I didn't see any particular event or anything going, oh, yeah, I really want to do that. It's just, right, I know where the triathlons are. I'll go and give them a crack. But for me, it was, uh, I think I did talk about this the other day. It was, I'd done a few events. I'd done the marathon. I'd done the race. I did the teams coast to coast. And while I all enjoyed them, and I did pretty well in them, especially considering I was just like a, a guy from the gym, um, I wasn't that challenged. And then my physio said to me, oh, if you want to be challenged, you've got to do an Ironman. And I mm. signed up straight away. <laughs> Basically went home the next day and signed up, and then that changed my life. But what did keep and keep me inspired was watching things like Trans World Sport or um, or anything else, anything on TV. You know, back in those days, it was pretty hard to come by watching anything. Um, and certainly for me, seeing those those pros racing. And back then, it was non drafting. It's amazingly seen at courses. Now that you didn't get the two hours coverage or anything like that, but just you know, 10, 15 minute highlights packages. Uh, I'd be videoing them in the good old VHS, and I'd have you know a catalog of maybe seven or VHSs with your three hours worth in there and you just watch them over and over and over and over again. So question for you, because around that time was when, because you kind of said, what year did you start? 91. And so then we had the like the the Australian Uncle Toby's was it or whatever they called it back in those days. Yeah. Um, that was a huge thing and it was in New Zealand. So did we get much coverage then and were you loving that? No, we didn't get, well, we did later on, probably, you know, late 90s, you got a bit more, but early 90s, it was just sort of snippets here or there. You'd get, um, yeah, a little bit of stuff from from Europe. They would cover Ironman, um, they used to cover Ironman extensively on TV over here. So they'd always go, go there in the morning and they'd be doing live updates during the day. And then they'd often cover, you know, the last three hours of the race or something like that, or the last four to five hours of the race um, live on, on our national carrier. You know, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And then when you started getting a bit more success, when Hamish Carter started doing well, um, then you'd get World Cup races. And, and yeah, that, that, that would mainly be World Cups and other little snippets here and there. So, um, yeah, it was very much sort of the, the Imakani era. Um, Hamish Carter was doing well, um, but definitely Simon Lessing as well. Okay, uh, let's go into this week's discussion. This week's discussion is the T100 series looks awesome. 
What course innovations or any sort of innovations would you like to see added to the racing and the coverage? Try to think of creatively rather than just power numbers and heart rate. Because we've kind of had this discussion before and people, everybody just says, I want to see power numbers, I want to see heart rates and stuff. But try to get a little bit innovative and think about little things they might be able to do on the course. Because I, I heard the interview with Sam Renoff the other day and, you know, I think, you know, they, they certain, I don't think they've given out any penalties yet in any PTO races for oh, drafting because really? they've got Race Ranger and, and stuff going on. But, you know, he indicated, you know, maybe we could do something creative if somebody's in the penalty box, you know, just thinking about things like that, you know, doing live interviews or, or I don't know, just keen to see some creative ideas. Okay. No, 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 no short shoot. No, get rid of the bloody short shoot. Don't the short shoot. Sure. I love, I love yeah. the Super League, but I don't love the short shoot. Okay. Yeah. Uh, John's quiz question. Where and when was the first PTO race? And see if you can try to remember who was on the podium. Oh, geez, it's a tough one. Okay, well, while you're thinking about it, we've got a great interview for you coming up. Here is Bradley Weiss. He's going to be talking about all things PTO, T100, and, and some other stuff as well. Here he is right now. Right, our team. Uh, as you guys know, the T100 series has been announced in the last couple of weeks, and it's looking awesome. Uh, today's guest is one of the uh, contracted athletes, Bradley Weiss from South Africa, currently ranked 12th in the world. His three point scoring races last year were second at Ironman South Africa, seventh at Nice, and the World Champs, and eighth at the US PTO Open. Um, came to the sport fairly late. If you don't know anything about Bradley, he's a former Xterra World Champion, currently number one ranked South African as well. So, uh, Brady, welcome to the show. Um, what's training look like today? Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, firstly, I'll uh, just apologize for my voice. I'm coming off a bit of illness, thanks to my little two-year-old who has brought some funky bugs home from school. Um, but yeah, just the phase of life we're in at the moment. Um, but yeah, my voice is not normally this deep and husky. So <laughs> uh, you have lots uh, of thankfully, fans. Yeah, <laughs> thankfully, uh, we put that behind us and got back to trainings managing to get back to some sort of like upper aerobic type training, pushing a little bit of volume again. Um, yeah, and got three three hard weeks coming up before heading over to Miami for the first of the T100 tour. Um, so yeah, today did a actually a decent threshold swim this morning. Um, I was quite surprised actually after a bit of sickness, seemed to body seemed to come around right. Uh, and then just did three hours here in around Stellenbosch, wine, uh, the Winelands area where we live, um, out towards the coast. And yeah, beautiful day here. Uh, we're hitting some some seriously hot temperatures at the moment, up to 40 degrees Celsius oh. most days. So, yeah, it's definitely some good heat training for uh, some some hot races coming up. It must be, I mean, for age groupers and stuff, it's it's a real pain in the ass when you get sick. But for for pros, it must be a pretty stressful time when you get sick. Yeah, my wife uh, definitely considers me one of the the kids when I get sick because mm -hmm. I complain and moan like a like a child. I think because uh, it's it's incredibly frustrating. But yeah, it's I mean it's how we put food on the table in the end of the day, and um, definitely adds a bit of pressure to to a race build. Um, and yeah, this this one derailed me for about mm, I was off training for like three days and then kind of got got going again. Um, so not too bad overall, but yeah, definitely put a dent in the intensity. I yeah. obviously have come off of a year focusing on Ironman and and now with the, the T100 tour being the 100k distance, uh, trying to work on a bit of speed work. And yeah, so 
when you miss a week of intensity, even though you're still getting the aerobic conditioning in, um, yeah, it definitely plays with your mind a little bit. And it was incredibly frustrating not being able to do the program that was set. Um, like most triathletes, I think I'm quite stereotypical, like a type personality that once there's a schedule that that's been written, I, I quite like to stick to it. Um, but anyway, we had to deviate a little bit and, um, not all's lost. Hopefully, uh, the little bit of rest that I got was maybe a good thing and gives me a little bit of a runway now into the the first race. So, you know, on your PTO profile, you know, I'd known a bit about you, but sounds like you didn't start in the sport till you were 19. And most, well, not most, a lot of athletes are able to pick up the cycling and running component and, and go with it. Um, but the swimming's often a struggle. I looked at your, some of your results from last year and like at Nice, you're only nine seconds behind the leader out of the swim. So obviously your swim's come along pretty nicely. Um, do you think there's any hope for the guys like who have been at it for a long time, like Sam Long and Lionel Sanders, who haven't quite made that bridge like you've made and what do you what do you think has been the difference for you to to actually be able to make the front pack yeah it's a honestly it's still a bit of a question mark in my mind how i managed to make that front pack because i similar to you know the this this more like struggling swimmers in our sport i almost like got to a point where i just didn't believe i would ever make the front swim pack i just didn't think it was possible for me anymore because i seemed to like throw everything at it and um, you know, I've got a lot of sympathy for guys like Lionel Sanders and, and Sam Long, who I know behind the scenes are, are putting in the hard work and, and really are doing all that, you know, they that they believe they can to to try and close this insurmountable gap, it seems sometimes. And um, yeah, it's great that I managed to prove it wrong. Um, yeah. I, I can give a lot, lot of credit to to Jan, Jan Fredino, who I managed to stumble into in, in Andorra and him and I ended up doing a lot of training together there. And he sort of took me by the back of the neck and showed me how it's done. Um, and unfortunately it is just a lot of hard work, a lot of long, hard swimming. Um, I hate to break it to everybody, but there's just no <laughs> other way around it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's no magic, uh, session or, um, drills or anything like that, that can get you through and, unfortunately you just need to swim a lot and swim hard and swim often um and not use pool boys and paddles and fins and etc etc as as crutches during during hard swim sessions so i think that was probably a a big learning curve for me is that uh as coming as a weaker swimmer when things got hard during swim sessions it's the temptation to grab a toy or a crutch just to make it through the swim session and then that sort of leaves you feeling like oh i made it through but did you really um yeah i think that was maybe something that i was dropping the ball a little bit with um but I'm, yeah i think the other side of it is just spending years in the pool i started racing professionally in 2012 and you know it's now 14 years of of solid or sorry 12 years probably of solid swimming um week in week out and just yeah. small incremental improvements and swimming is one of those things that seems to plateau at a point um and despite doing a lot more swimming harder you know producing better numbers in the swimming pool it doesn't quite translate to a race um yeah. and then all of a sudden it all just clicks and and makes sense um but yeah i think a lot of a lot of people when trying to execute swim sessions they probably swimming too hard uh, when they you know they go out to do say a mm. 40 by 100 threshold um they just hear the word threshold and they almost use it as like a vo2 type set and they go all out balls to the Mm. wall for the first one and completely crumble and fall apart towards the end 
Um, so trying to be a little bit more honest with yourself and saying, you know what, today I can only handle like one fifteenth or hundred, call it, or mm. one tenth or hundred or whatever that that number is, and really be um, diligent and and hold on to that pace throughout the entire swim session is something that has worked really well for me. Nice. Um, in terms of last year, you know, I mentioned your sort of three point scoring races for your PTO ranking. Um, so South Africa, Nice, and the US Open. Um, what what were the highlights? Were, that, were those your best races of the year, or what? What were some of the highlights of the year for you? Yeah, definitely, those were the the three best results for the year. Um, I th- feel like the PTO ranking system has gotten pretty decent now where I, I feel like it's a relatively fair representation of the sport and where it's at. I'm sure there's a, there's some cracks in the system that could maybe be improved, but overall from like a, a bird's eye view point of view, I think the, um, the, the overall ranking seems to be a true reflection of where the sport's at. Um, and those were definitely my three best results. You know, once I qualified for the Ironman World Championships in South Africa, that was always the big goal for the year. Um, I knew that it was a course that was going to suit me really well. Um, and yeah, I spent a lot of, well, we invested a lot of money and resources into the preparation for, for Ironman World Champs. And yeah, if it wasn't for that, that penalty. Um, I was going to say, bike, I thought I, you got think, a penalty yeah. on the bike. I remember watching the coverage. Yeah, I managed to get a, a drafting penalty on an uphill climb at like 15% uh-huh. gradient. I'm not really sure how that works. But yeah, anyway, um, yeah. that's another Ironman curveball. But um, yeah, if it wasn't for that penalty, I think I could have broken into the top five probably. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was very, very happy with that. And that was definitely the highlight of the season. Cool. So right, let's talk T T one hundred series. Um, one of the the gripes that a lot of us had was um, we didn't really know what was going on. We knew there was something coming, but then it's you know it's only been announced two weeks ago, and then the first race is in March. It's like whoa, that's coming up pretty quickly. So for mm-hmm. you guys on the other side of the fence, the athletes, you know how um, how were you kept in the loop? Did, did you kind of know what was coming and just didn't know the exact specifics? So yeah, were you guys kept um, well in the loop? Yeah, the PTO definitely kept their cards pretty close to their chest, but at the same time, I think they let us know um, once the the races were guaranteed. I think what they didn't want is to be telling us about events that then didn't end up happening. I mean, mm-hmm. there were even a couple um, European races that were on the schedule that was never released. Um, that sort of we got told about, but then those never eventuated. So I think what they wanted was once they announced it to the public that it was a guaranteed locked-in series, um, so they probably made the right call there um, because I think people would have been maybe a little bit skeptical if they had announced the series and then made like three or four changes to it. It mm. would be like, oh, this doesn't look great. But I think the PTO are slowly realizing just how much goes into an event organization company. And, um, you know, they, they're having to partner with with multiple different events teams and in different regions around the world trying to accommodate different rules and different different territories. So I think they've got their, their hands full and trying to put together an eight-race series. Um, it could not have been an easy feat. So, um, yeah, there were certainly some delays. Um, but in the end of the day, I think we got more than enough time to to prepare correctly. And, um, and we kind of knew what the landscape looked like well in advance of the season. So... Um, you know, they, they didn't tell us the exact race dates that were coming, but we sort of had a general idea of, of when the season would start and that allowed us to prepare accordingly. 
So it's, it's, it means it's a long season. And I guess in some ways you're kind of used to that. You know, if you did Ironman South Africa and then you and you probably have a mini peak for that and then another peak, obviously, for the world champs. But an eight-race, an eight-month season where you're going to have to be at a, at a high level uh, all the way through, I imagine that's had some some changes to how you kind of structure your year and, and, and what the training looks like. Yeah, once we sort of knew the season schedule, I sat with with my coaches and we sort of had a discussion around what we think makes most sense. And so the it's an eight race series. We are contracted in to do six of those eight races. We we are welcome to do all eight if we would like, but we're only contractually obligated to do six of them. Um, so five of the sort of general standing races and then the grand final um, at the end of the season is compulsory. So um of those six races your best four scores will count um so there's a couple of ways to look at it is that okay you could maybe just decide i'm going to peak four times in the season and almost use one or two of the other events to fulfill your contractual obligation but maybe just use them as a bit more of a preparation race or not as as focused so i've pushed them quite hard on on getting course details because you know i'm a 60 kilogram athlete that race as well in the mountains and mm. or on more technical courses so i'm going to try and identify those quite earlier and try and and almost ring fence those as the ones that i'll aim at to be one of the four scores that count um, as well as where i'm based i'm a southern hemisphere athlete we are currently in the middle of our summer um, it's quite easy to get fit um, quite quickly in the beginning of the season um, I think it's something that like Southern Hemisphere athletes have always had against them is that all the World Championship events take place in October, November or September, October um, historically. So it's quite difficult for us to peak at that time of the year um, coming out of winter. But I mean, these days it's a it's pretty much a, a 12 month schedule that you have to race all year round. So everybody faces that challenge at some point. But yeah, the way I'm personally approaching it is I want to try and do well in the beginning of the season, um, try and get a couple of good like early scores on the board. Um, so we've kind of taken on quite an aggressive approach to Miami and Singapore. Um, Singapore will obviously be really hot in April. Um, so coming out of the South African summer where I've been exposed to 40 degree heat on, on a mm -hmm. daily basis, uh, I should be pretty well heat climatized. Um and yeah, hopefully can catch a couple of the Europeans off, off guard and maybe get <laughs> get two or three early scores on the board um, and then maybe have a bit of a mid-season um, rest, maybe skip one or two events there. Um, but I think it's quite feasible to do all of the races and maybe just take a bit of pressure off in the middle of the season and then and then try and peak again for the, the main races, well, for the grand final at the end of the season. Yeah, cool. So at this stage, you guys haven't had to lock in which races you're going to do. You know, obviously you've, you've probably got a good idea, but you haven't had to say to PTO, I'm doing this, this, and this one, and I'm not going to do this, this, and this one. It's sort of still evolving at this stage. Yeah, they they have asked us to indicate roughly what, what we're looking at, and but they've looked at more like the first couple months of the year. They haven't asked mm. us to commit to the full season. Um, I think they just need enough runway into an event to know like, okay, of the 20 contracted Athlete, or like the the 20 contracted men let's say on for singapore for instance maybe there's five who are guaranteed not to be coming yeah. um then they know that they have that many wild cards to play with um yeah. so if they can get those commitments earlier from us it obviously it, it it's helpful for them but i think they are only like forcing us to commit like about a month out um, yeah. that'll probably give them enough time to to fill that slot with a wild card 
What, what are the, you know, you've done a few of these um, PTO races now, which is now the T100. Yeah. How do they compare for you compared to say doing, you know, you've done lots of 70.3s, you know, what, what are the, the big differences for you, for you guys, other than obviously the money? Yeah, obviously just the, the entire prestige and like organization around the race is definitely a step up. Um, I myself never raced on the ITU circuit. Um, and I, I would imagine it's, it kind of simulates that environment a little bit more. Um, it's, it's, considerably smaller more dense fields um but a, like a much higher quality field than what you would get at your average 70.3 where there's maybe like five or six true contenders for the winner for the win and then the rest are you know sort of mid mid to low tier, tier pros you might get like 60 to 70 pros on a start list but truly only mm. like five or six of them are there to win um whereas with a pto event you know there's probably of the 20 athletes starting now 12 13 14 who believe they're going to win on the day so mm. um it, it's a definitely a different environment definitely a bit more of a higher pressure stakes um but yeah i've really enjoyed racing over the distance um it's quite an interesting distance being like it's just short enough that it, it attracts like the itu athletes who they believe that they can perform over that distance um yeah. but it's long enough that it definitely still um suits a long course athlete you know somebody who can ride a time trial bike really well is going to be able to benefit um and it's still 18 k's of running so um yeah I've, i have enjoyed the intensity of it um and yeah i look forward to being exposed a little bit more to that this year and it'll be interesting to see how racing more frequently over that distance um like whether whether the racing will get faster guys will maybe learn a bit more tactics and and how to race over that distance a little bit more economically um but yeah i got into some great battles last year in milwaukee i think at one stage there were like six of us on the run course together which you just don't really get in, yeah. in 70.3 racing um it's generally quite spread out so yeah it's super fun and hopefully we get a lot more of those battles in 2024 yeah, I think in that race, I think seventh through thirteenth, there was ninety-five seconds covering, uh, you know, six or seven places there. I think you came out uh, fairly high out of that six. Yeah, I finished eighth. Uh, David yeah. McNamee managed to roll me from that group, so that was yeah. the one who got me. But yeah, no, I love a good run battle, and I've been putting a lot of work into my running. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited to see to see where I can get um, this year. I did a little bit of a run. The money's obviously good, but I'm keen to hear how good it is relative to what's been like in the past. You know, it's $2 million in the bonus prize pool, $250,000 um, total prize pool per race. And then you've got, you guys have got your contracts as well. So like for you, um, if you have a, you know, I, I bet you're sort of pitching to try to get top fives, um, you know, in the other races, you've sort of more been in that five through 10 sort of placings. You know, how big a difference is this making for you? You know, say you have a, a season similar to what you did last year, you know, where you maybe you are in that five through 10, you know, is this like, you know, massively improving your your income or is it sort of about the same or is it, um, you know, I'm sure it's probably not going to be worse, but uh, you know, how does it sort of look for you when, you when you're looking at it? Yeah, no, for sure. If I end up in that fifth through 10th range, I'll probably end up earning five times what i would usually earn in a season um, nice yeah yeah quite easily actually maybe yeah. even more so yeah it, it's quite it, it's definitely changed a, a lot and i mean i definitely feel sorry for the the athletes that just missed out you know the guys sitting in maybe like 18th 19th 20th position in the rankings and that's where mm -hmm. i was last year so that's where i would have been um had this been 12 months earlier um i would have i would have missed the cut mm -hmm. um but the pto obviously 
they have to cut it somewhere. Um, they yeah. can't just keep rolling down and they've chosen 20 athletes for the season and that might change um, for next year. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's the number that they chose. And I'm very grateful that I had a, a, a solid year and got myself into a ranking position that allowed me to get an auto qualifier for the series. Yeah. Um, I think while it wasn't like definitely written in stone, we all knew that this could be the outcome. Um, so, you know, it's not like people were unaware that, that, the series was going to happen um yeah. we didn't obviously know the exact qualification criteria and that was a, a bit of a changing landscape and then with the two different qualification dates that also threw a bit of a curveball into it so yeah. even for me sitting in 12th position i think i was like the second or third last athlete to qualify so yeah. there are definitely some athletes who are sitting pretty high in the ranking and missed the you know missed selection which could have yeah i mean it definitely would have cost you a lot of money to to have missed it because yeah. there's just no ways you can make that kind of income racing on the other platforms. It's just not not really possible unless you go and, you know, win an Ironman World Champion. So somebody like a Patrick Langer um, who can genuinely go and win Ironman World Championships, you know, those are the guys who have opted out of the PTO. But as we can see of the, the 40 contracts offered, there were only two declines. So yeah. the money is good enough. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. How, how have your sponsors reacted to this? Um, because some of the scrumblings we had last year, I saw Sam Long commenting once that the sponsors probably didn't recognize the series. You know, they'd rather him winning a 70.3 race and winning a, than winning a T100 or PTO as it was known. So I know sponsorships probably uh, harder to come by in South Africa compared to America, but how have they reacted to this when you say I'm not doing any, well, yeah, you might be doing some other races, but um, how have they sort of reacted? Yeah, it's definitely been a pretty slow uptake from a sponsorship point of view. Um, and, and that's understandable, you know, that the the companies, the brands that are invested in triathlon, they understand the landscape of Ironman, they understand their return on, on investment, and they know, um, roughly speaking, what they're going to get from an athlete who races on those circuits. So the PTO, I mean, as you say, a month ago, we weren't sure what the, the dates of the races were. So it's very difficult for a brand to, to commit to the series and get excited about the series when they themselves don't really know what it's going to entail. But I think, um, again, if you zoom out a little bit and you just look at what the PTR are doing, they're investing so heavily in their marketing and, mm. um, you know, their, um, their marketing of their athletes and their events that having an athlete who's racing on that series can only be a benefit for a brand. So hopefully, oh, yeah. I think this year will solidify the value of the PTO series um, mm. and hopefully um, kind of solidify that in the minds of the the brands that they believe that okay if i qualify for the 2025 t100 tour you know that that is a, a pretty good draw card to to secure some good sponsorship um moving forward just because they know the value that they're going to get out of the season mm -hmm. um this is going to be the first full full series we've we've just had sort of one one or two three races a season up until now so having a full tour i think will definitely change that landscape and yeah, hopefully the brands come on board, but I can understand why they've been slightly reluctant and haven't just jumped on on it. And I mean, regardless of everything that's happened, Ironman World Champs still holds the the biggest draw card in our sport, and and it still brings the most amount of eyes to our sport. And um, it's not that we want to change that either. You know, I think that's yeah. still a great thing for our sport, and hopefully it it continues to grow. Um, but yeah, there's having an entire season to race a very um clearly outlined season of races that we can um, tuck into have the same competition 
um, or the same competitors every every weekend is going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, some really good rivalries, and yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be great for the sport of professional triathlon. So, well, in terms of other races, you know, you just mentioned Ironman there, and we saw Lucy Charles. She's opting out of Nice. I think part of that's probably to do with the course, not one hundred percent to do with T one hundred series. Um, are you going to do much other racing outside of this? And if you are doing Kona, you know, you're going to have to qualify somewhere, I guess. Yeah, that's the big um, question mark at the moment is whether I want to go after qualification. And my coaches are actually quite keen for me to just focus on the T100 tour. You know, there's there's eight races in the season and that's enough to 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 fill my calendar. Uh, it allows me to stay at home a little bit more, do bigger, bigger blocks of preparation into the races and then really try and execute well in those events. But at the same time, like I, I don't want to walk away from Ironman completely. So um still in the back of my mind i'm trying to to juggle the season and see where i can maybe sneak an ironman qualification race in yeah. um what the first option would be ironman south africa which is the weekend after singapore um yeah it'll, it'll make for a pretty tough back-to-back going all the way to singapore doing one of these these pto events and then flying all the way back to south africa and trying to get a top four whatever i would need there to to get a slot to Kona. Um, mm. but logistically that would probably be the easiest one. Um, and then the other option is to maybe wait until later in the qualification cycle. So you, you know, you hit a, an Ironman sort of late July or something like that, where a lot of the, the higher competitive athletes have actually qualified. So, you know, in those type of races, you can probably end up just kind of cruising and still getting a slot. Yeah. Um, not really the way you want to go about it but that's the the landscape of ironman racing is you need to go and qualify and, and you don't yeah. want to put a, a big block of preparation into it but then yeah. the other side of it is that once you've qualified you now want to go and race kona and if you're going to go there you need to do a big block of training so that's going to take probably late uh, las vegas off the cards for you yeah um which is the week week before kona so then it creates other problems that now if you lose that race plus another race because of a qualification ironman now you've like you just got your six races left and then heaven forbid you get sick or something and yeah you know you could end up shooting yourself in the foot trying to take on too much so the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of leaning towards just doing the tour and, and doing yeah. it properly and, and really trying to commit to that distance and and see how well I can do. Um, and yeah, to be to be honest, like from a personal side of things, um, the, this tour has given me a lot of motivation and, you know, waking up in the morning to go to the pool, I'm, I'm really excited and motivated, which tells me that I'm in, in the right place mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the same way I was for Ironman World Champs in Nice last year. Like it really, like you know, the butterflies were going in my stomach six months out from the event because I knew it was a course that suited me really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I kind of have the same momentum and feeling towards the T100 Tour. So I feel like your gut normally has has some pretty good instincts and just follow that. And so more than likely, I'm going to end up just racing on the T100 Tour this year. Cool. I think I saw a picture post the other day from Flora Duffy doing some trade to use some training with her yeah so her husband is dan hugo who's south african and he also they um they live here in stellenbosch um or they spend the summer here in stellenbosch every year so yeah i've done a lot of training with her i think we started training together like back in boulder probably like 2020 sorry 2012 uh was when we kind of first met um so yeah i've been been uh, friends and training partners of flora for many many years and yeah, she's still going strong, obviously having another Olympic cycle. Um, and she's also got herself a, a PTO 
contract. So um, yeah, it'll be exciting to see her on the T100 tour as well. And I keep teasing her that she needs to bring out a time trial bike, but I think her coach has told her she's not allowed to ride it until after the game. So uh, yeah, I think we'll see her a little bit later in the tour. She hasn't, I mean, she is, I just absolutely love her from an Olympic distance point of view. She's just tears it up when she's on form like she's just just about unbeatable but her when she's done a few of her long mid-course distance races she certainly hasn't performed to that same sort of level do you think she'll focus on it you know post olympics and do you think she's just going to absolutely tear it up yeah i think um i mean as you say she's just an absolute beast when it comes to the itu distance and and yeah. has proven that if she prepares correctly there's very few women in the world who can who can you know, be competitive with her. Um, and I think she hasn't had the opportunity to really prepare for a, a long distance race. It's more been like, oh, that'll be fun to go and jump into that race. But then people see, oh, it's Florida Duffy and they just expect the same mm -hmm. level of, you know, um, athlete to rock up. And I think the the middle distance races these days take some, some quite specific preparation, um, specifically on the time trialing, you know, somebody, like Taylor Nib is, you know, she she's just very well suited to the time trial, but it, it doesn't just translate for everybody. You you really need to spend some hours on that bike and and really getting dialed in. Um, so I think when Flora gets the opportunity to really focus in on that distance and and gives herself a bit of a longer runway into those events, I think she can really be a threat. Um, I think that's the biggest question mark for hers is whether or not her body will hold up to the the work that she demands of it. Mm. Um, it's been the kind of the the biggest stumbling block for her in her career is just that um she pushes her body so so hard that you know sometimes it it cracks under pressure um mm. but yeah she's she can time it very very well and she she did it for rio and uh, sorry for tokyo and uh yeah, yeah wouldn't be surprised if she does it again in paris and and then comes over to the t100 tour and gives the ladies a bit of a run for their money yeah is she actually. um has she got to qualify because i don't know she didn't race at all last year is she qualified for, for, the, the for the games? Yeah. Yeah. So because she raced really well in 2022 and she won the grand final, well, she won the the, the ITU series and that was already the yeah. start of the Olympic qualification like points criteria. Right. So yeah. I think she got all of her points in 2022. Yeah. So I think there's like, I, I mean, I don't really understand the whole ITU yeah. qualification criteria system. You need a, it seems like you need a, a degree um, oh, yeah. just to be able to, to comprehend all the different rules and all the different federations, but because they come out of, you know, racing for Bermuda, I think there's yeah. less competition for her. Um, so I think they've, they've got the slot qualified and she just needs to like prove fitness or something. Like <laughs> Imagine if you did yeah. pick, a, pick somebody else who's going to get last. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Now um, in terms of anything you've got coming up or any plugs, you know, you obviously gave us some coaching tips earlier on the swimming side of things. Um, any, anything you, you're doing or any sponsors stuff you want to sort of get out there or, or how people can follow you? Yeah. I've been um, dabbling a little bit with a bit of a YouTube channel. I, I, almost like you in order to call yourself a long course triathlete these days, you need a YouTube channel. So I've um, been playing around a little bit with that. A videographer here in Stellenbosch, a good friend of mine, um, he's been pushing me a little bit to do it. So yeah, we we have started that. So you guys can tune in there if you want to follow along and see what I get up to on a day-to-day -day basis. Cool. I sometimes find like the day-to-day -day life of a triathlete relatively boring, but yeah, um, yeah. yeah it, it's, I mean, it's, uh, some people find it quite stimulating and enjoyable to see what we get up to. Um, yeah. Just, you know, 
putting in a lot of hours um, training in, in beautiful locations around the world, I think is is probably mm-hmm. the most exciting part of it. And I look forward to getting back to some of the the more exotic destinations. We've spent some time in Livigno in Italy and Andorra last year, um, Boulder, Colorado. So I, I look forward to doing a little bit of that and taking everyone into kind of oh. a bit more behind the scenes of those different destinations and what those different landscapes offers to a triathlete. Um, I think that's kind of a fun, like a maybe a slightly different look at, at what we do as professional triathletes outside of a day in the life, which I, I find horrifically boring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I try and do some, some different stuff this year, especially around the T100 tour. I think it's, you know, it's an exciting space for, for professional athletes. Um, yeah, from a sponsorship side of things, I, I've kept most of the same partners. They've been incredibly good to me, um, looked after me over the last few years and, and yeah, we come continue to build from strength to strength and yeah have some some proudly south african partners and chivita and rush sports bars and um yeah just companies that i've walked a long road with um yeah that continue to to do their best to support me as wherever they can um and yeah i look forward to continuing to represent them on the international stage and hopefully get one or two podiums on the the pto tour yeah in terms of the media side of it, you just mentioned YouTube. Do you feel, do you feel, kind of feel like that's something you have to do, or are sort of sponsors going, you need to be doing this, or are you just doing it to build your profile? You know, what sort of what's what's the end game when you're doing this? Yeah, definitely no pressure from sponsors or anything like that. There's never been a sponsorship where they say, you know, you need to start producing YouTube content. Um, but if you can have it, and it, you know, it can, it can't hurt you to to have another channel to speak to your audience to try and grow that that fan base a little bit more try and yeah. just bring people into to what you do and and have a platform to to show off your partners and your your sponsors and um yeah just the maybe the unique way that i go about preparing for triathlon races um there's i definitely don't feel like pressure that i have to do it is just something that i want to maybe try and add to my portfolio yeah. um yeah, I must admit it's not doesn't come that naturally to me. Um, so I'm I'm still learning. We've only done like two or three videos, so still just uh, keeping it nice and small. Yeah, um, good. And yeah, we'll we'll see if we get get ex- like a little bit more inspired or creative when it comes to some different landscapes that we we visit and some different regions around the world. The nice thing with the T100 tour is that we're racing in some some really cool parts of the world. So. Yeah, it'll be fun to take people along and and take people inside some of the behind the scenes and what goes on. Um, maybe more like in race week of of what we get up to before one of these bigger races. Yeah, just start swearing lots and doing lots of X-rated content, and then you'll get a few yeah, more followers. There you go. <laughs> awesome no, i'm looking really looking forward to this t100 series i think for guys like you who perhaps don't have the profile of some of the others the, the pto are going to give uh give you guys so much more exposure and i think um you'll get a bit more coverage which is justly deserved i think because you guys are sm- smashing it and often we just see you know christian or somebody like that at the front and having you guys around is yeah. going to be awesome so thanks so much for your time and um we look forward to seeing you through the series yeah thanks so much for having me and uh yeah look hopefully uh get to come on again later this year and talk about a couple wins (laughs) sounds good (laughs) awesome mate i'll just uh stop the recording okay jumbo your thoughts well, we're going to lead on in a moment to sort of the earning capacity of uh, the, some of these pros can be making. And as you've just heard from Brad, uh, you know, it's significantly more for someone like him than what he has been earning, uh, okay. even if he has an, an average. So, so I haven't so. heard. So what, did he give you a number? Well, he said, you know, four to five times what he's oh, been well. earning. 
Okay, well, so, so that, that's a game changer. Significantly more. Yeah, yeah, especially so, so, for those athletes and the sort of the yeah more mid-pack athletes, yeah. massive difference. Yep. Yeah. Okay, so now what we've done is John's actually gone away and done some really good work because he's we've broken down what we expect them to earn. So what could you earn before, you know, now as a in, in the T100 series, uh, what we expect the athletes to use, earn and kind of at the different levels, so the top end, mid and bottom. So let's break this down, John. Yeah, so there's basically the way it's working, there's $3 million in contracts and that's spread over 45, 40 athletes. So on average, that's $75,000 per athlete. Um, now, I'm making the assumption that all the athletes are not going to be paid the same amount. So if you break that down a little bit and you try to come up with, say, four tiers, you'd say if you're a level one athlete, you might get 100000 Level two might be eighty five. Level three might be sixty five. Level four might be 50000 Purely speculative. I've got no insider information or anything like that. But that's kind of, if I was organizing it, that's how you do it. You go to someone like a Daniela Reef, go, right, you get 100K. If you're ranked the last ranked athlete, you get 50. Kind of seems fair enough to me. And based on that, you're kind of saying every five. So one to five is, yeah. is 100, six to 10, and so on. And if you're the, the last ranked athlete and you're getting $50,000 just as a sign on. Yeah. I'd still, I'd still be taking that. Uh, and then on top of that, there's $250,000 at each event. And then there's a $2 million bonus prize pool at the end. So obviously you want to be fairly highly ranked. So at each of these races, as I said, $250,000. And the way that breaks down is you've got $25,000 for first. Um, rolls down to 10th, you're still getting five grand. And then after that, it's pretty much 2,500 uh, all the way down. So not, you know, if you're finishing between 10 and 20, you're probably thinking, well, there's not a lot of motivation here because uh, it's, I'm getting this, if you finish 11th versus 20th, you're getting the same prize money. But the big kicker is you're not going to be getting the same amount of points and you've got to maximize those points to uh, make sure that your end of season bonus is pretty good. So 250000 per race and then $2 million bonus prize pool at the end. Now, I thought I'd take three examples of what athletes could be earning. So a top pro, let's say they have five results. They may do five more than five races. They may not, but you need to be doing five. And if you think of a top athlete, I'm thinking maybe they get two wins two seconds and two thirds. That sounds pretty optimistic. But if you're thinking someone like a, an Ashley Gentle, yeah, she was on the podium every time she raced last time. I don't think that's unrealistic, might not happen. But if you did get those results, um, if you had two wins, two seconds and a third, then your prize money from the series would be $210,000. So this is your prize money say, from the races without the bonus? Yep. And then yep. you say they'll probably get $100,000 for their contract um and then 90 what am i where am i going with this have i done my calculation no so the hundred thousand for the contract 94 for the winnings checks and then they get yep. the series bonus of two hundred and ten thousand. so a total so number mean, of four hundred and four thousand. yeah so that would be what a top pro could earn they might they could earn more than that if you went five wins which is reasonably unlikely that might get bumped up closer to, to half a million or so but that's probably where it pretty much tops out at about half a million. If you're a mid-pack athlete and you say you had did five scoring races and you got tenth, an average of 10th place at all of them, you're going to get five grand per race. That gives you $50,000 for your prize winnings from the series. You'll get a $35,000 bonus um, for, for finishing in 10th place. So your total prize money would be $65,000 from your contract. 
$50,000 in prize money and $35,000. Um, so that will give you a grand total of about $150,000 if you're smack in the middle of the series. And then back of the athlete, back of the pack, I thought if you do all eight races and you finish last in every one, highly unlikely, but it could happen. Uh, you'd get $20,000 in bonus prize pool. Um, you'd say get about 50000 ish for your contract and 15000 for the series. And so that will give you $90,000 US uh, all up. So front of the pack, about 400K, mid pack, 150, and then back of the pack, 90,000. So yeah, then I thought we'd need to compare that to what Torsten has on his, his yeah. uh, deep dive into the 2023. Pr- triathlon prize money so on his his website so if we look at the and what he's done he isn't really worried about six he's just gone earning money now we do have to put in fact that this is just from racing so when we think of the top pros the probably the top pros are probably doubling prize money wouldn't they in sponsorship you'd think so yeah, yeah. you know so like Anne Haig last year she got 335,000 total um, the 65 from Ironman wins, 3,070.3 wins, 250,000 from PTO, and then 18,000 from Challenge. Kristen Blumenfeld got uh, 325, and he got 285 from PTO, World Series tri- races and Super League basically combined to that. Uh, Ashley Gentle, 323. Taylor Nib, 281. Lucy Charles, 246. Um, Magnus Diplev, 202. Jan Fredino, 196. So... It's yeah, so like, then when you, you if you scroll down a bit and then you think, you know, somebody who's, you know, someone like a Rudy Von Berg, who's a good athlete and, you know, often podium him. And I think he got, uh, he, he, I think he was a bit injured last year, though, so he's maybe not a great example, but he was in 24th place, 115,000. Yep. And the last ranked athlete that Torsten had here was Daniela Reef, who basically made $100,000. So when you compare that, and I, and I made this comment last week, I thought that the guys at the top top of the game, I didn't think it would make a massive difference. And when you look at that, you say, my example, you'd earn 400000 last year and how had 335. So yes, it's still a nice increase. But um, well, but, you, but you haven't factored in they do other races as well. Yeah, whether so, they so, do or they don't, it's that's a big yeah. question. So like, let's say Ian Hug does all the PTO series, the, the T100 series, and as I'm at World Championships and maybe another couple of races, yeah, she's probably going to pull closer to six hundred, five, six hundred thousand. Yeah, so, which, which is doubling but, her wages. Yeah, but for 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 the mid pack athletes and the back of the pack athletes, that's where it's going to make the bigger difference. Uh, so yeah, I just thought that was a nice little. I'm actually, comparison. actually I'm really fascinated to see this document from Torsten at the end of this year yes. because also Ironman's added their bonus. Now, we're thinking mm-hmm. it's going to favour more of the people who just focus on Ironman racing, not the guys in the, in the, in the T100s. But, you know, like, because they're now pulling up 600000 that's nearly double the money. Mm. You know, mm. that's significant. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. Because PTO brought a lot more money. Like, take PTO out of last year, Anne Haug's only winning. Well, now, she would have raced more in other races, but she wouldn't have earned 335000 No. You know, she would have done, you know, a couple other 70.3s. And so her total might have been, yeah, 250, something like yeah, that. Yeah, if that. It's a pretty, pretty significant difference. So definitely bring a lot more money into the game. Um, 
yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting, and and I really look forward to watch. You know, this time next year when we've Thorsten's done this doc again, we'll be able to see how much more pros are making. And as you say, as we work through the different fields, so you know the, the top end people, sure, like the Christian Blumenfels and and Anne Hags and Ashley Gentles, they'll be earning a lot. But what's that bottom athlete earning in comparison to? I th- everyone's going to win out of this because guys like Bradley Weiss who I interviewed today, you know, he's multiplying his, his income by several factors. The guys that haven't got on this tour, you really feel for them. But when they go to a race, all the rock stars aren't going to be there, you know, the top 10 to 15. So they're going to move up three to four, five ranking placings in that. Ironman's got their bonus prize pools. So I think just, you know, the whole tide is going to get lifted up significantly. Yeah. But I think the big winners are the guys that are going to be on the, the PTO tour. They're going to be, uh, you know, there's going to be quite a big drop between those guys and the ones doing the, the Ironman tour, I suspect. And, and the only other thing to say is this isn't profit. This is, co- this is income because you need cost on mm. top of this. So like someone earning a hundred thousand, they've probably got 30 grand in costs. At least. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you think of it like that, so, mm. Okay, then let's go into Winger, Winger of the Week. week. Okay, Jumbo, uh, you can pick one. Okay, I'm going to get old random.org to give me a number here. Let's see what it's got. Number 64. Number 64. Scroll down, number 64. Ah, oh, we have to do it again. It's James Botel, but he only rode his bike, so we can't go there. But James Botel, long-term listener of the show, yeah. get on your swim and your... Number 97. If this 97. doesn't come up, we'll give it. Yep. Tom, Tom Long. I guess Tom, that, no, oh, that's Tom Long. Tom Long. Tom, yeah. Tom Long with the silver. <laughs> I don't, I don't have much I don't have much about him. Other than he's a certified coach. He's an Ironman certified coach, a personal trainer. And uh that's all I don't it's private. He's got one hour and 12 minutes of swimming last week, 10 hours and four minutes of cycling, and 43 minutes of running. So 12 hours of total training to finish 97th on the rankings last week. So good work, Tom. Uh, make your account public and we'll give you a bit more love. So, if, And he's from Amherst. I've got a bit here. I've got a bit here. Okay, because yep. I've gone to his website. So as a law, as a coach, professional, professor, husband, father, and athlete, Thomas spent the last 15 years developing as an amateur athlete and a self-professed middle of the packer. He has not won a world championship nor any tremendous uh-huh. feats of athleticism. What makes Tom a great coach is that he is a real person who has paved his own way from sedentary chain smoking to an Ironman athlete while working full-time and sharing the family responsibilities of raising two children and a few dogs along the way. So there you go. Nice work. Tom Long, you are our winner of the week. Of the week. However, I did want to just give a little bit of love to the guy that I think is pretty much number one on the rankings every week, um, a guy called Tim Franklin. Now, he is only running, um, but he is a former triathlete as well. But he's basically doing, we may have mentioned this before because it's been going yeah. off bloody ages. He's running, more or less running around the world. He's on day 100, uh, 436. So, for example, he ran 50Ks yesterday and he pretty much is doing something similar more or less every bloody week. So, yeah, he's, he's not quite running around the world. He basically, from when I looked at the map, he's running around the world except for sort of through Asia, did a teensy bit in Asia, but basically ran across Europe, ran across America ran across South America, ran New Zealand, and he's running uh, across Australia at the moment all around the southern coast. So pretty impressive. Good on you, John, Tim Franklin. Why would you not do Asia? I'm sure there's a good reason for it. Uh, yeah. 
I, I, yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to speculate. Obviously, it's bloody hot, so it'd be really hard. But I imagine there's probably a reason for it. Yeah, because you think you're going to run around the world, you run around the world. Ex- nothing, hey, nothing against Tim, legend. Yeah. Like Tim, yeah. if you're listening, let us know because I'd love to know why you skipped that. Because he's got the map here, and it's not like a straight line around the world. It kind of flies to different sections up and down, mm. you know, the, the the world. But um, yeah, I'd love to know why he hasn't done it. There you go. So, mm. but what an achievement! Well done, Tim. Okay, let's get into questions and answers. So. Uh, the quiz question was, where and when was the first PTO race and what was the podium? So, was it Canada? It was definitely in North America. But mm-hmm. was it Canada? It was Canada, wasn't it? I think you could be right there, Bevan. Um, yeah. Because last season was we had a few more races. We had the Asian Open, we had the European Open, and then they did the one in the US. The year before that, from memory, there was only two races, and uh, there may have been three, but it was definitely the Canadian Open, and I reckon that was the first one, because then they had another one that was in Texas. Do you remember the one in Texas where it was really, yep. really hot, and yep, they had Michael right, yeah. Michael Johnson there? Yeah, and the crowds Canada. were really disappointing. Yeah, yep. and but the one in Canada, I reckon that was the first one. And in terms of who was who won it, um, if my memory serves me correct, Christian Blumenfeld got the old quad cramp going on the run. Yeah, that's right. And Gustav Eden went through and took the win. I, th- Gustav, uh, I think Christian Blumenfeld kept going. I don't think he got second, though. I'm pretty sure he didn't, but I think he did make a little bit of a comeback. Who got second and third? I wouldn't have a clue. On the female side. I think he got podiumed. I think you're right. Yeah, I think, I think he might have got third. Because it looked like he was out of it, and he just kind of mm. gutted it out, didn't he? Mm. But the main thing was Christian Blumenfeld, uh, uh, Gustav Eden took it out. And on the female side, I'm almost certain that um, Ashley Gentle took it out. And I do remember, I reckon it was Chelsea Sodaro was sprinted in for third place or something like that. So I can't remember who finished second. I'm, I'm going to go, actually, no, I reckon... Um, Paula Finlay got second, and I'm going with Chelsea Sodaro in third. And the boys, I do remember Alistair Brownlee blowing up as well. He had the stomach problems. I think he was near the near the front of the race, if not leading. So I'm going to go on the boys' side. Oh, I can't. I, actually, I remember Aaron Royal got third, I think. And what was I'm the go, race, was it? Bl- Blumenfeld got second, I'm going to go. So let's have a won, look. Rural won the next one, didn't he? No, but he did He did quite well at one of them. Yeah. Let's have a quick look. I'll go and look at Christian Blumenfeld's profile. So if we're looking at 2021, if I look through there, or 2022. Ah, I was right. That's always good. I like being right, Bevan. Yep. So. Uh, oh, I, I t- smoked it on the female side. You did. You had Ashley General first, Paula Finlay second, Chelsea Cesaro third. Nice. And she did have that little sprint finish with Laura Phillips, so she took that out. And then the boys got that right too. Gustav Eden first, Christian Blumenfeld uh, managed to hang on for, not hang on for second, he was still comfortably second, and Aaron Royal was third. Interesting, Sam Laidlow was fourth. So there you go. We've we go. both got good memories combined. Here we go. Those are the days. Those are the days. Start of something big. Okay, John Bo, watch your swim set. This morning we did for our warm up, we did 200 freestyle, 100 drills, 50 kick, and then repeated that through again. And then onto our main sets, we did three 400s, descend one to three. So getting progressively faster with 30 seconds rest between each one. 
100 meters uh, individual medley just to loosen the arms up uh, just nice and easy. And five 100s paddles only. And then another 100 IM just to loosen the arms up again. And then finish with four 200s reasonably hard, um, taking around about 25 seconds rest. And your 200 warm down, I think that gives you 3.6 Ks. Nice. 3.6, mate. Boy's an animal. Need another 200 meters. We could have had an Ironman swim. There you go. You know, when was the last time you just swam a straight 3.8? Was it an oh, Ironman? And, and yeah, Challenge Road. <laughs> uh, done, done, we've done a bit of uh, water swimming lately. We're swimming fairly continuously, but uh, haven't done a 3K for a while. Okay, team, let's say thank you to our patrons. We've got John Weir in Tear. Hamish, I never hit the wall. And we're at Gale. Uh, he's got, hopefully he doesn't hit the wall this weekend because he's doing a gravel bike race. Uh, oh, which one's he doing? It's a new one up around Hamner. I think it's about 115 Ks on a gravel Ooh. bike. So it'll be hot and steamy, I'm sure. Are there many races like that? Because gravel bikes are quite fun. Are there many? Next to none in New Zealand. Overseas, lots. But um, it's, there's only one other one that I know of. I'm sure there's others, but um, few and far between over here. But okay. definitely going to pick up in the next few years. And we've got a new patron, John. Gail Harvey Hayward. Yep. She thought she'd better be a patron because she was complaining about us, about you yawning. Yep. So, so my yawning's actually paid dividends, John. Ask, yeah. Yep. yeah. There you go. <gasps> me, me, doing, me doing my political uh, assassination of the stupid National Party. Yep. Um, and then you yawning. Hey, we're going to be rolling in it soon. <laughs> okay, so nicknames. So I, ch- I plugged into the uh, Sky Sports Darts nickname generator and came up with a couple. You might have some better ideas. Gail the Heat Harvey Hayward, yeah, or Gail the Hyena Harvey Hayward, or High Five Gail Harvey Hayward. Yeah, I like the High Five, high or five. even Gail High okay. Five Hayward Harvey Hayward. Yeah, High Five high, so, Harvey Hayward because it's a mouthful. I like it. So every every time we see her, you got to give her a high five. Everybody else, whenever you see Gail, instead of you know saying, well, Gail's got that kind of energy. Gail, Gail's yeah. great energy. So give her I reckon, a high five. yep, High Five Harvey Hayward. And Here we go. She's a bit of a cuddler. Gail, and so oh, yeah. sometimes she tries to come in and give me a cuddle. I'm like, stand back. I'm not a cuddler. Uh, <laughs> so, I'm, Gail, you're just giving a high five whenever I see you now. <laughs> I'm a hugger. You can give me a hug anytime. High, high I, five, five, I, probably, I probably gave her a hug. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you. Yeah. Okay. So, thank you, Gail, for becoming a patron. If you're a bit like Gail and you're thinking to yourself, I need to become a patron, we really, really appreciate those who are our patrons. All you need to do is go to www.iamtalk dot me go to the website you'll see it says support the show go through the process and basically you just give us a bit of your hard-earned money each month and it really does support us and what we do so we appreciate those who are patrons and you know who you are if you want some coaching go to coachjohnyson.com for epic camp go to epiccamp.com for anything i do it's bevanjamesos.com and if you want to email us about anything you can email us at iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com john by what's your goss what's my goss Sun's coming out. Looking forward to that. Get out on the little bike. Uh, need to need to up my game a little bit, Bevan. Oh, did, a, did a race on Friday night. Personal worst. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I had. I, I didn't go. I would. I definitely did not go into it with um, in a negative mindset. But I was realistic that I was not going to do very well because yeah. my fitness fitness is not great. And yeah, my swim was pretty decent. My bike, I, I didn't. My TT bike had a few issues because I haven't ridden it since road, and uh, I was like, got onto it, and like my whole rear brake was not working, and I almost thought, 
this flat course, I can probably get away with just my front brake, but I think I'd better be safe and not go out on my TT bike. So I was on my road bike. So I was on the back foot already, but then my legs were just, just not working on the bike oh, no. whatsoever and didn't do much for me on the run either. Um, but I'm cool with that. It was fine. I just enjoyed being out there, enjoyed racing. But from a performance point of view, it was woeful. Um, so hopefully I can just start advancing things a little bit and get a little bit faster again. Um, so that was my, my what, what Friday was night. Oh, it was just a tiny little Friday night one. And that's what's great about little grassroots local races Low key, you don't tape for them or anything like that. You just go out there and treat it as a really good hard workout. Um, just good practice for you know getting your wetsuit off quickly, you know, skills in the in the water in terms of drafting and so on. Um, so yeah, it was it was a nothing, nothing race. It was like a good hard training session. So um that was my Friday night. What else did I do my weekend? Uh I watched for the first time ever, Bevan, I watched the Super Bowl yesterday because oh, Thomas was going on and on. Oh, about you should have come over with a Super Bowl party. Oh, I wasn't. I wouldn't say I was watching it. I was okay, had in the it on while I was on my computer, yep. and I was actually being reasonably productive. Um, but it was actually a little bit better than I expected. I had very low expectations, uh, so I actually thought it was it was all right. Do you know what? I'm not American football doesn't do it. So 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 yesterday, um, I actually hijacked somebody else's party. I think I did. So the, the boys, Porno, and his a few of the boys who I do um, quiz night with. They're, they're right into it. Like they watch the games throughout the year. They really enjoy the sport. Um, and at our house, we've got a massive drop-down big screen. So I said to them all, because they normally watch it at a guy called Chris's house, and I said, well, why don't we do it at my house this year? And they're like keen. So mm. everyone came over. And because um, it's such a stop game, like there's mm. so much stopping. And like, the game basically took about four and a half hours, five hours. And it oh, yeah. Little, you know, yeah, it takes a long – for for an hour fifteen of gameplay, and and even there, there's a lot of stoppage. So actual gameplay is probably only what twenty minutes. But mm. um, but when you watch it in a big group of people, it's actually quite mm. a fun sport because you know sometimes when you're watching like a game of rugby or league and you're in a big group of people, and you get people talking and I'm like, I just want to watch the game, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. whereas in gridiron, because it's so stop start in a big group of people, you're having a bit of a gossip, you're having a bit of a laugh, you watch the next mm. play, you know. So mm. it was actually quite fun doing it that way. Mm, I can see, I can see that definitely. So, um, yeah, that was it, Bevan. Anything else happening in your world this week? Well, recovering from um, from Super Bowl eating, because ah, really? Americans do everything big. And I tell you what, yeah. that Super Bowl is, although slightly disappointed with the halftime show. Did you watch the halftime right. show? Not really, but Belinda said that was pretty rubbish as well. Yeah, it was a bit. The second half was we gave it six out of ten. Right. Started as low. Yeah. The mic, unfortunately, the mics weren't good, so that, that, that's not his fault. But um, you need upbeat, and he was just a bit too sold. Mm. Second, the last ten minutes, the last third was really good, but you got to start come out for bang, you know, come mm. out for bang. But anyway, um, so we thought we'd do super. We thought we'd do American eating. So mm -hmm. Porno bought out loaded fries. Uh, we had mm -hmm. nachos. We like. Everything had uh, Reese's mm. Pieces, had Doritos, oh, yeah. and we, we basically the plan was put put snacks out for the first half, have like the the feast before the grab, grab your food and then watch halftime show, and then the sweets in the second half. Well, mate, I ate for the whole thing. I was, oh yuck! I was it was yeah, and then the game finished. So everyone left about five, um, maybe just after five, 
And I basically sat on the couch and fell asleep for like two hours. I yeah. was bloated. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so this morning, I didn't eat any dinner. I had a very small breakfast today. Uh, we like eating for the next couple of days because, yeah, I was, I was being the true American experience. What, one thing go. we did do is we paid for, we, there's a company called uh, The Zone. And they, in New Zealand, they offered it where you could get the American feed. So, yeah. and you, you only paid, it was only $2. So yeah. we got all of the American ads, and and that, oh, that nice. actually did make it a good experience because mm. not you know there's a few average ones, um, but you know there was probably you know fifty percent of them were actually really good fun. So that also yeah. added to the experience as well. So overall, uh, you know, as a group experience, I actually had a really good time. Mm, nice yeah. work. There we go. So very good. All anyway, right, let's wrap it up, Jobu. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Try hard. Trade smart. Kia ka. Kia ka.